thank you all very much for the opportunity. Uh, so I'm so appreciative of being able to be back on this platform. And I'm, again, like I said last time, I'm grateful for technology, uh, for what, uh, what it allows us to do um, in this avenue and to still be able to gather together through difficult circumstances uh, that our world is facing uh, today. If you will go ahead and grab a Bible, I'll begin opening to 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. Really no introduction uh, this evening. And as I think about this text here uh, in the book of 2 Peter, really we could go on all night um, exploring this small text. It's only five verses, uh, but there's so many different things that we can learn uh, from this short passage of Scripture. And so I hope that you're ready to study with me. I hope that your Bible's open. Um, and as we begin, I want to go ahead and just read this passage of Scripture together, and then we'll jump right into our lesson, uh, and we'll go from there. Look with me here, 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning of verse 14. Notice what the Apostle Peter writes. He says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Verse 17, you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your from your own steadfastness, being led away with the air of the wicked. Verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the, the glory both now and forever. Amen. As we begin this evening, I want to look at a little bit of context into this passage. Let's find out about what's going on surrounding this passage before we jump right into it. And, and I've said this before in all of my teaching and preaching, you can't fully understand a passage of Scripture until you understand the context. And I really want to do this especially because of the very first word here in verse 14, and you can see it there in your Bible, that it is the word, therefore. And one of the things that my instructors would always tell me at the Memphis School of Preaching is they would say, when you study a passage with the word therefore, you have to know what it's there for. So what is Peter stating? What, what is he saying that we need to look forward to these things? What is Peter talking about as he goes through this passage of Scripture? Well, let's go to our context and let's find out. I want you to go all the way back to verse 9. I want you to look at verse 9 with me in here, here and see what Peter says. Notice he says this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is longsuffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So what are we reading? What are we finding out? Well, coming to light in this passage of Scripture are some of the many characteristics of Almighty God. We understand that God is patient. You and I know that God is good, that he is long-suffering towards us, that he is caring, that he is loving, that he does not want any of us to perish in eternal destruction. You know, when I think about that eternal abode, the place that is not called heaven, but rather the place that is described for us in Scripture as a place of weeping, Matthew chapter 8 and verse 12, a place that is described as a place of wailing, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 42, a place of gnashing of teeth, Matthew 13 and verse 50, a place of darkness, Matthew 25 and verse 30, a place full of flames, Luke 16 and verse 24, a place that is full of burning, Isaiah 33 and verse 14. On and on we could go to find different words that tell us what hell is like. 
you know, one of the things that I've always found to be interesting about this place called hell, every time I've studied it, this has always come to my mind. Hell wasn't prepared for you and I, was it? You and I weren't designed to go there. We were not created to spend our eternity in hell. Who was hell created for? Well, we know that according to Matthew 25 and verse 41, that hell was created for the devil and his angels. And so what Peter is saying is he's saying this, look, God is giving every single one of us the opportunity to repent. He's giving every single one of us the opportunity to live faithfully for him. But brethren, we must always be ready. Why, Peter? Why be ready? Because his coming is going to be like a thief in the night. That second coming of Jesus, we're not going to know when it happens. No one's going to know when it's going to happen. Not even the angels of heaven, Matthew 24 and verse 36. No one knows. Therefore, we must always be ready. Look at verse 11 as we continue through this context before we get here to verse 14. Look at verse 11 with me. Therefore, again, notice that word. What is it there for? Because of everything that we have just looked at, since all of these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwell. So again, context, what's happening? Well, we understand that the Lord is going to keep his promise. We understand that every single person has an opportunity to repent and to live for Jesus Christ. We know that the earth is going to be destroyed. We understand that Jesus is going to come back as a thief in the night. And because of all of those things, Peter says, live a life that is filled with holiness and filled with godliness. In other words, be someone who is set apart from the world. That's the whole idea of the word holy. And as faithful Christians, and this is an interesting concept, as faithful Christians, you and I can look forward to the day when everything that you and I know, when everything that we know that exists will dissolve. We can look forward to the day when everything will be on fire, when everything will melt. Why? Why can we look forward to that day? Well, you and I know that as faithful Christians, what do we have that's promised to us? Well, that eternal place called heaven. That eternal place called heaven where there's no more tears or suffering or pain. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4, a place where there are proverbial mansions. John 14 and verse 2, a place where the captain of his army rides in on that white horse. Revelation chapter 19, a place where we can perpetually worship the great God of heaven. Revelation chapter 7, and what a beautiful picture that is. And so that's our context, and that leads us right up here to verse 14. And so what I want to do for the rest of our time together this evening is I want to look at five words, one word from each verse from this passage of 2 Peter 3, verses 14 through 18, and then we'll wrap things up and the lesson will be yours. The first word that I want you to notice as we go through verse 14 here is this. I want you to notice the word diligent. I want you to think about the word diligent here in this verse. Look with me here. Let's read verse 14 once again. Therefore, beloved, Peter says, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. So again, because of all of these things, right? There's that word, therefore, we as faithful Christians, we get to look forward. Therefore, beloved, Peter says, looking forward is the Greek word prosdako. It means to anticipate, to eagerly await, to highly expect and anticipate something that is going to be coming. Brethren, is that not what our attitude towards heaven ought to be? You know, the older that I get, and I'm only 24 years old, but the older that I get and the older that you get, I am sure the more eagerly we together await that place of eternal rest. Look, I know living in this world gets old, doesn't it? I know that this world has a lot to offer, but brethren, friends, it cannot even begin to compare with heaven. 
They cannot, it cannot even touch the tip of the iceberg when it comes to what heaven offers you and I as faithful Christians. And as faithful Christians, we ought to have that same attitude of the Apostle Paul. You remember back in Philippians chapter 1, beginning and verse 23, when he said, For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is what? Which is far better. Jesus Christ, or rather, the Apostle Paul didn't want to be here anymore. He didn't want to be on this earth any longer than he had to, but he also knew that there was work that he still needed to accomplish as a preacher and a gospel preacher of Jesus Christ. Prisdako, that idea of looking forward with anticipation. Look back at verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, notice this word now, be diligent. Be diligent. It's the word spadadzo. And it means to do so, to do something with great speed and with great effort, to be prompt, to be earnest in the way that you do it. In other words, Peter says, be someone who has a great willingness to be found by Almighty God. You think about this word labor. Think about work. I think about the word effort. Brethren, that's what it takes to be faithful and to be pleasing to Almighty God. It doesn't just come to you with the snap of your fingers, does it? To be someone who is zealous and is fervent, someone who understands what Christianity and discipleship is going to cost them in order to be a righteous child of God, to be diligent is to be someone who applies themselves when it comes to developing as a Christian. Think about this, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, think maybe even 50 years from now, I hope that you and I would be able to look back at our lives and see a great difference in our spiritual maturity, not in the idea of that we're going down, but rather that we're growing. I hope that you and I will be able to see a great amount of growth when it comes to us as New Testament Christians. I think back just a few pages before 2 Peter chapter 3, I go back to chapter 1, and I think about verse 5, when Peter begins this letter and he says, but also for this very reason, notice this, he says, giving all diligence. In other words, he says, be extra sure, right? Be adamant when it comes to adding in these virtues in your life that he's about to give us there in verses five through seven. But if you go down in that text there and you get to verse verse 10, Peter again says, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent, be even more sure, be even more earnest, be even more adamant. Well, Peter, about what? Peter, why? Why would we do this? Look at the end of verse 10. To make your calling and election sure. Brethren, you and I know that we've been called out of this world into his light. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. We know that the Greek word uh, for the word church is the word ekklesia. It means that we have been called out, that we have been brought out, we have been taken out of the world. Is that not what we are as Christians? Look back at verse 14 of Second Peter chapter 3. Therefore, beloved, Peter says, looking forward to these things, be diligent. Notice this, to be found by him. When I think about this idea, it takes me back to this game that everybody knows, the game of good old hide-and-seek. Everybody's played it, everybody knows. But when you play that game and you're the one who is trying to hide, you don't want to be found, do you? That's the whole name of the game, isn't it? Your goal is to stay completely hidden and to not be found by the seeker. And you're going to do whatever it is, whatever you can do in your, uh, in your power to try and find the best spot that is going to conceal your location to the best of your ability. But Peter is essentially saying, don't play hide and seek with God. In other words, be someone who wants to be found by him when he returns. Because when we know this, ultimately, God's going to find everyone anyway, don't, isn't he? You can't hide from God. But you see, not everyone is going to want to be found by God. You think about those who are not living faithful lives. 
those who are not living lives that are in harmony with the word of God, sure, they aren't going to want to be found by him. Why did Adam and Eve hide from God in the garden in Genesis chapter three? Because they knew that they had transgressed his law. People who are not living for God will never want to be found by God. But you see, if you're diligent in your Christian walk, you will want to be found by Christ so that you, you want him to know where you are so that one day you can escape this life that is full of pain and torture and hurt and suffering so that you can be reunited with those loved ones who have gone on before us, brethren, we long to be found by Christ. But, but I guess that begs the question, how? How can we be someone who longs to be found by Jesus Christ? Well, two, two things, and we'll go over these very, very quickly, and then we'll move on to our next verse. I want you to think about these two words, or rather these two phrases, without spot and then blameless. And truthfully, when you think about these two ideas, they kind of carry the same sentiment. The, the idea that, that you are in this uncondemned state of living, that it is not your regular or your daily habit to transgress the law of Almighty God, that if someone were to pick your life apart, that there would be nothing to be found. You know, I think about elders. Elders of the Lord's church. They are required to be blameless men, aren't they? Read 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, Titus chapter 1 and verse 7. I think about you and I just as redeemed individuals, as Christians, we too need to live blameless lives. Colossians 1 and verse 22, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 13. Blameless and spotless. What a beautiful picture of someone who is faithfully living for Almighty God. And brethren, what diligence that takes from us. Let's move on to verse 15. As we go to verse 15, I want you to think about this second word. I want you to think about the word consider. I want you to consider the word consider as we go through verse 15. Read with me here. Peter says, continuing his thought, he says, and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. Did you know, and think about this idea, did you know that really the only reason that this world continues to spin in existence is because the world still has a need for salvation? There are still individuals on the face of this planet who have not yet obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, who have not put Christ on in baptism, and that is the reason that our world continues to go. Time continues for the purpose of offering opportunity after opportunity to the individuals who have not repented and who have not been baptized. Just go all the way back to verse 9. The Lord is long-suffering towards us, right? Not willing that who? That any should perish, and that all should come to repentance. That's why Peter says, consider that the long-suffering, the patience of our Lord is salvation. Now, I say all of that to also say this. I also think about Acts chapter 17, and I think about verse 31, where the writer there says, talking about God, because he, God, has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. You and I know that God knows exactly when the day of judgment is going to be. You and I know that God is not delaying, that he has not changed the appointed time. It's not like God cannot make up his mind as to when he wants to do this. It's not like God is thinking, okay, tomorrow I'm going to issue the return of Jesus. And then tomorrow comes and he's like, ah, maybe I'll wait a couple more days and try to give people some more opportunities. No, he knows exactly when it's going to be. And brethren, it's, it's, it's for us to be able to live on this earth without having met the judgment of God is a very testament to his long suffering. For those of you, think about this, for those of you who have not yet given your lives over to the Lord, every single second that passes by is one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given you. 
because he is allowing you to have an opportunity to turn your life over to him. Consider the long suffering of our Lord. Consider, think, mull over in your mind the idea that God is allowing you, his creation, what he created, to have the opportunity to live in eternity with him, his creation. Even though you've made mistakes, even though you have sin in your past, even though you haven't always made the right choice or the right decision, God is willing to forgive and forget all of that and to give you a clean slate as his child. Think about his macrothemia. Think about his long suffering. Think about his patience. But then I think about us as New Testament Christians, as individuals who have been baptized, as individuals who have given our lives over to the Lord. There are times of failures in our lives as well, are there not? Are there not times when we have to go to God and get on our knees and beg him for forgiveness of things that we have done, beg him to wash us white as snow, to remember those things no more? Again, Macrothemia, his long suffering with us. I think back to the days of Noah, and I remember how Noah had taught all of those people around him about the destruction that was going to come upon them, and that if only they had heeded the warnings of Noah, if only they had listened to Noah, surely the long-suffering of God would have been their salvation, but it wasn't because they didn't listen. They didn't heed the warnings. They disrespected God. They mocked Noah, and they turned their backs on God, and before they knew it, it was too late, and where did it get them? Destroyed. Complete and utter destruction. That's what it got them. The long-suffering of God must be counted as salvation in that it affords all of mankind to make the decision to turn to Him. You and I know that God wants us to spend our eternity with Him. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, the writer there, Paul, speaking to Timothy, says, "...who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth." Brethren, He's already done everything for us, hasn't He? The scheme of redemption has already been set into place. It is simply up to us. We must make the choice on who it is that we want to live for in this life. Consider the long-suffering of God. But notice here, as he continues in this verse, I find this interesting what he says. He says, as also our beloved brother Paul. Man, if there was anyone who knew about the long-suffering of God, it was the Apostle Paul, wasn't it? And I know you and I know, we know all about Paul's past life, and there's no need to get into a study of that because you know about it. What he had done to the Lord's church, we remember. He was a killer of Christians, uh, someone who put Christians in prison, someone who was a persecutor of Christians, and yet he was also someone who saw the long-suffering of God as salvation because before our very eyes, as we read through the New Testament, we see a man go from being a horribly sinful and hateful man to becoming one of the greatest evangelists that this world has ever known. He took full advantage of the long-suffering of his creator. And brethren, so should we. Not in the sense of, well, let's go sin and and live how we want because God's long-suffering is going to cover us. No, Romans 6, 1 and 2 condemns that kind of attitude. But take advantage in the sense of you and I have an opportunity right now that's right before us to make our lives right with God. And either we're going to stand up and we're going to make that change or we're going to allow ourselves to continually be governed by this world in which we live. Consider, Peter says, the long-suffering of God. See it as an opportunity for salvation. Let's move into verse 16. Move into verse 16, and I want you to think about this third word. I want you to think about the word understand. I want you to think about the word understand. Pick up with me here, beginning of verse 16. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand 
which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been studying the Bible and just thought, what in the world does this mean? How in the world am I supposed to understand this? I know that I have. I've been there many times. And if you've been a true student of his book, then you know that you've been there too. But you see, that's okay. Because even Peter said that some of the things that Paul wrote are hard to understand. Some of them are difficult to understand. Some things in scripture are just more difficult to understand and dissect, aren't they? John 11, verse 35. That's a very easy verse to understand, isn't it? Jesus wept. We understand that, right? We grasp it. We get it. We know the context. We know why. We understand that. But you could go to places like Galatians chapter 4. You could talk about Sarah and Hagar and the allegory that's used there. That, that's difficult. That's, that's much more complex and hard to understand. When we study about God, it's so much easier to understand and to know about his love and his grace and his mercy. Those things are a lot easier to understand. But you talk about his providence. Talk about the Holy Spirit. Talk about every metaphor used in the book of Revelation. That, that's tough. I get that. That's hard to understand. But here's a couple of things that I want to point out. You don't have to know everything in order to be a faithful Christian, do you? I am afraid that there are many, many people who are afraid of committing their lives to Jesus Christ because they are afraid that they don't know everything that there is to know about the Bible. My friend, let me tell you this. I don't know everything that there is about the Bible. Think about this. I went to school to study the Bible every single day for two years, every single day. I've been preaching for five years. I grew up in a preacher's household. My father is a preacher. My grandfather is a preacher. My uncle is a preacher. My father-in-law is a preacher. And yet I still don't even come close to knowing everything that there is to know about the Bible. And I think about the, the, the men that I just mentioned, I'll take all of their preaching years, combine all of those, and I promise you that they would all say in unison, that they don't know everything that there is to know about the Bible. In all the preaching careers of every single preacher that has walked the face of the planet, save Jesus Christ himself, still have not learned everything that there is to know about the Bible. Why? Because we aren't perfect and because you and I are not God. But here's the great thing about it. You and I can know what we need to know in order to be faithful and go to heaven, can't we? John 17 and verse 17, sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is truth. John 8 and verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Brethren, we can know what we need to know. You know, I find it interesting that Peter doesn't say in which some things are unable to be understood. He doesn't say in which some things you can never understand, but rather what does he say? In which some things are hard to understand. Peter is telling us that we can't, that rather that, that we cannot perceive he's sorry, he's telling us that there are some things that are just difficult to understand. He's not saying you can't perceive it. He's not saying you can't comprehend it. He's not saying you can't understand it, but rather he's just saying, look, some things are difficult, but just because they're difficult doesn't mean that they are impossible to understand. In fact, I think about Ephesians chapter three, Ephesians chapter three, beginning of verse three, the apostle Paul says how that by revelation, he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already by which when you read, look at this, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Brethren, we can understand, we can know, we can comprehend, but it doesn't just come to us as soon as we snap our fingers, does it? Go back to that word spadadzo that we talked about in verse 14. It's, it's the word diligent, isn't it? That's what it takes to acquire knowledge, isn't it? It's not something that God's just going to bless you with as soon as you ask him for it. 
The diligence that we talked about earlier, it has to be exercised. If you are going to be able to comprehend and understand the scriptures, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, be diligent to present yourself approved unto God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. What are you doing? Rightly dividing the word of truth. Be diligent in your study of the word of Almighty God. We put so much effort into work, don't we? We put so much effort into school, into sports, into friends, and into every extra thing that this world offers. And yet, brethren, I am afraid that for so many of us, we don't give the Bible the light of day until we step foot into the assembly. And brethren, that is a problem. How is an army going to be able to fight and defend itself if it isn't practiced and studied in the weapon that it has to use? We must be diligent in our study and in our understanding of the Word of God, and we have to be willing to progress. That's that's a big part of this. We have to be willing to grow when it comes to us as Christians. The writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. Verse 13, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Verse 14, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and and evil. Let me ask you this question. I don't want you to be very real with yourself. I want you to be very honest with yourself. How do you feel about your knowledge of the Word of God? How do you feel about where you're at when it comes to what you know about the Bible? Could you have a Bible with someone? If someone came up to you and asked if they, if you could study the Bible with them, would you feel comfortable doing so with your knowledge of what you have about the Bible? Would you be able to show them how we worship? and why we worship in the way that we do. Would you be able to prove those things to him or to her through scripture? Would you be able to show them what they need to do in order to become a New Testament Christian? Could you walk them through the plan of salvation and show them from scripture how to do that? Would you be able to talk to them about the differences of the covenants and which which one we are under today and why that's so important? Could, Could you talk to them about the grace and the mercy of God and how that works in our lives today? Could you talk about those kinds of things? Maybe you look at yourself and you think, man, I don't really know a lot of those things. Well, Christian, let me ask you this. Maybe we are so unskilled in the word because we are still only partaking of the milk. What did Peter say in 1 Peter 2 and verse 2? As newborn newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may what? You may stay where you're at and never grow. No, that you may grow thereby. A baby doesn't stay on milk forever. A baby wants to grow and get to that solid food, doesn't he? Brethren, we have to have a desire for solid food when it comes to studying the Bible. If we are not growing, then we are lukewarm. And just like Laodicea Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus Christ will spew us out of his mouth. Go back to verse 16. Look at this. Let's continue on in our study. Verse 16 of 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter continues his thought. He says this, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. That word twist, if you read it in the King James, it is the word rest, W-R-E-S-T. And in the Greek, it's the word strebolo. And it literally means to torture. It literally means to pervert. You know, in life, there's a lot of things that are simply just not promised to us, aren't there? You and I are, are not promised to live a long life, are we? You and I are not promised that we're going to live a healthy life, are we? 
We're not promised lots of money. We're not promised a nice house. We're not promised even a car or things like that. There are so many unknowns and so many things that we just simply are not promised in, uh, in this life. But you know, one thing that I know for a fact, one thing that is promised without a shadow of a doubt in my mind is what is recorded in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning of verse 10. The Apostle Paul is writing his second letter to, to the church at Corinth, and he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to that which he has done, whether it be good or bad. You see, for faithful Christians, that brings a lot of joy, doesn't it? For faithful Christians, we understand that the day of judgment, there's a reward that is awaiting us, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, and what hope, what happiness that can bring to us as faithful children of God. But then you have the flip side of that coin, don't you? I think about what Peter said here in verse 16, talking about those who torture, talking about those who pervert, those who twist the scriptures simply so that the word will align with their lives rather than their lives aligning with the word. Because truthfully, if you think about it, that's what it boils down to, isn't it? That they have a set way that they want to live their lives. They have actions, they have decisions, they have choices that are not in harmony with the Bible. And so they twist it, they torture it, they pervert it to say what they want it to say, and they make it say something that it doesn't say. Brethren, that is one of the scariest things that mankind could ever do. Because when you do that, when someone does that, they are placing themselves on a pedestal that is higher than where God is. In doing so, they are taking their own wisdom and their own righteousness, and they are placing it above Almighty God. They are disrespecting God. They are belittling God. They are, in a sense, slapping God in the face because when someone twists the Scriptures, they are simply saying, God, Holy Spirit, you don't know what you were talking about. Here's what the Bible should say. Here's how it should read. Here's what you should have had those men record. Friends, how blasphemous is that? How blasphemous it is to look God in the face and to say, you don't know what you're talking about, but I do. But you see, when people are filled with such pride, when people are filled with such arrogance, they do so at their own peril, don't they? They do so at the cost of their own soul. They do so with destruction on their horizon. I think about what Jesus said in John chapter 12 and verse 48, where he said, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The words that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Look, you can twist the scriptures all day long, can't you? You can make the Bible say whatever it is that you want it to say. You can make it read however it is that you want it to read. But brethren, it truly does you no good, does it? Why? Because by whose words will we be judged in the last day? By yours? by mine, by our own rendition of what the scripture ought to say? No, by the words of the Bible. Brethren, that is why it is so important that we go back to the book, that we go back to verses like 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 that we read a moment ago, that we handle aright the word of truth, that we rightly divide the word of truth. Peter says, understand. Understand that there are some things that are hard to understand, and that, that's okay. But understand that we have to always be growing, that we must be weaning ourselves off of the milk, that we must be longing for solid food. We have to also understand that there are those out there who are willing to twist and torture the Scriptures, but that they do so at the cost of their own lives. What a warning that is to us. Number four, let's move on to verse 17. Very quickly, we'll go through these last two verses here. I want you to think about the word beware. Think about the word beware as we go here into verse 17. Look at this. Peter continues his thought. He says, you therefore, again, there's that word therefore, because of all the things we've talked about, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware. 
lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. And I, again, I only want to briefly touch on this because I do want to make sure I hit the very next verse as we close. But think about this. Peter gives us really a very harsh and a very blunt warning to the brethren to whom he is writing, and in turn, to you and I as New Testament Christians today. Again, keep in, this, keep in mind this word, therefore, because of what I've just told you. Because there are people out there who twist and torture the scriptures because there are people out there who will make God's word, try to make God's word say whatever it is that they want it to say because of this. Beware. Be someone who is on guard. Be someone who is on watch. Protect yourself. Understand. Be conscious of what's going on around you. Why? Because if you don't, you too may very well fall prey and become just like them. Brethren, we cannot think that we are above the ability of falling from grace. I know that there are a lot of people out there in this world, who in this religious world, who believe in this idea of once saved, always saved. That there are people who believe in this idea of Calvinism, who believe in the idea of the perseverance of the saints. There are so many people who believe that once you're a Christian, you are eternally locked in and you're good to go for the rest of your existence. And friends and Christians, let me tell you, they are dead wrong. If there was a passage of Scripture that blows Calvinism out of the water, this verse is it. Christian, beware, be watchful, be on guard, Peter. Why? Lest you fall into the pattern of those who twist the Scriptures and who live their lives according to their own judgment. I have known, and I know that you have known, of faithful soldiers in the army of God who have stumbled, who have fallen, and who have unfortunately never gotten back up. We all know of faithful men and women who got caught up and who got swept away by the desires of this world, who no longer have that love for God and for his word as they should, who no longer rightly divide the word of God and they in turn twist and torture the scriptures to say what they want it to say. I think about 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands, Paul says, take heed lest he what? Lest he fall. Brethren, it's possible for us to fall. Let us not grow so comfortable in our faith and in our Christianity. Let us get out of this rut that we so often fall into and let us continue to grow. Let us continue to grow. Look with me here at verse 18 as we go into our last word, number five. Look at verse 18. And I want you to think about, you probably guessed it, the word grow. I want you to think about the word grow. And I know we touched on this a minute ago. Look with me here in verse 18. Peter concludes his thought but grow in the grace of the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be both the glory now and forever. Amen. Man, what a conclusion. What a way to bring this, this study, this passage of scriptures to a close. He says, grow. Instead of falling back, instead of twisting and contorting the scriptures, instead of thinking that you cannot fall, he says, grow. Brothers and sisters, the Bible is literally designed to help you grow. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 11, it is compared to a seed that the sower plants. And in turn, it begins to grow and it begins to blossom. Brethren, that is us. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, we mentioned it once ago, once before already. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may what? That you may grow thereby. And very quickly, Peter mentions grace and he mentions knowledge. And obviously, we don't have time to jump headlong into those things. But I do want to quickly mention this. What is grace? Grace is essentially the good favor and loving kindness from Almighty God. Or what's knowledge? Knowledge is acquiring and understanding what we retain from the Word of God. Brethren, you put those two things together right there. 
and they spell the word faithful. If you are not continuing to grow in your knowledge of his word, if you are not continuing to keep yourself in a good standing with Almighty God, then you are not faithful to him and you are not growing. Brethren, it has to be our desire. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6 and verse, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6? Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Listen to me very, very carefully. And if you don't take anything else home with you this evening, take this home with you. If you are not a growing Christian, then friend, you are a dying Christian. Brothers and sisters, dying Christians don't make it to heaven. Call me blunt, call me harsh, call me whatever you want. But all I know is that I want to hear the Lord calling my name on the day of judgment, saying, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of thy Lord. And brethren, friends, I hope nothing less for all of you here this evening. I appreciate your time and your attention this evening.